I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. Our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. This midweek extra episode is a chance for us to go deep on a particular topic. And today I'm pleased to have on the program the president of Gray Matter Research and Consulting. His name is Ron Sellers. Ron and I discuss a new study that his organization has done in conjunction with Infinity Concepts. That study was published today, and it's called The Ripple Effect, Congregations, COVID, and the future of church life. Before we jump into that interview, I just want you to know that we'll have a way for you to get a free copy of this 20-plus page report in the show notes. Just click the link there, and it'll take you straight to that study. Well, Ron Sellers, welcome to the program. It's really great to, um, to be able to chat with you about this uh, new study that you've put out, The Ripple Effect, Congregations, COVID, and the Future of Church Life. And Ron, I'm a journalist. I sort of like headlines, short, sharp headlines, and short, sharp lead paragraphs. So can you give me a headline? What's, what's sort of the big idea in this study? Pandora's box is open. How about that for a headline? Well, it's pretty, yeah, pretty suggestive. Uh, yeah, what I mean by that is uh, th- there have been there have been lots of different alternatives, if you will, for church for live in person church services for many years. There's you can always find a church service somewhere on television. There are various radio programs, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and they've 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 really never been much more than a niche in terms of uh, church attendance. Then we had the pandemic hit, and we saw that uh, people either chose to or largely were forced to stop attending in person. So what did they do? They largely turned to online and watched church services. And unlike previous situations where you know television has always been out there, et cetera, this time people were essentially forced into it. And what we found is that a lot of the people who were forced into it are not so sure they want to be forced out of it again. So there's a lot of questions now about what is the future of of church attendance to the U.S. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into some of those numbers, and maybe it'd be best to start with, I guess you could say, a little bit of a pre-ramble about who you actually surveyed whenever you did this. Um, You uh, surveyed uh, evangelicals uh, primarily, and you've got a definition of how— Y'all define an evangelical here, and you say that, um, and, and I, I won't go into that definition, but you've you've got, um, um, well, maybe I will go into the definition just a little bit. Uh, the Bible is the highest authority. It's important for me to uh, encourage non-Christian to trust Jesus as Savior. Jesus' death on the cross is the only sacrifice that will remove the penalty of my sin. Only those who trust in Jesus as their Savior uh, and receive God's grace um, re- will have eternal salvation. I've paraphrased a little bit, but those are fundamental core 
uh, biblical evangelical ideas. Um, did you just survey evangelicals or mostly survey evangelicals? No, this was exclusively evangelicals, and further, it was evangelical Protestants. So it means uh, there are people within the Catholic Church, uh, Orthodox Church, Mormon Church, etc., who would agree with all of those theological positions. Yeah. But we were looking at a very tightly defined group of folks. And I think it is really critical to understand there's, what, what the definition of evangelical is. This is the definition that's actually favored by the National Association of Evangelicals. And there's a lot of research out there purporting to be about evangelicals, but it's defined so differently. And it's critical for anybody who's going to use that research to understand the definition because it ranges anywhere from about 7% of the U.S. population to 35 to 40% of the population. And so there are some very, very different stories being told about who evangelicals are, what they're like. Um, that aren't necessarily really accurate. They're not a reflection of who really is an evangelical by beliefs. Right. Well, I, I completely agree with that. I've been studying this and writing about uh, this phenomenon of, you know, who is the evangelical, what is an evangelical for a long, long time. So I, I feel your pain, and I really appreciate y'all's attempts to try to define and quantify exactly who you're talking about here. Uh, let's dig into the, uh, the numbers, though, just a little bit. So you surveyed that audience, those folks, and you found that 89% stopped in-person church during uh, the pandemic, and 77% uh, of the total because they were required to. Their church was closed. They didn't have any other choice. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, there's one additional piece that's it's not massive, but it is important, which is 13% of people who hold evangelical beliefs were not regularly attending church prior to the pandemic. So of those who were, 89% stopped attending at some point during the pandemic. And of those who stopped, it was 77% stopped because their church stopped holding services, stopped offering services, right. made a decision, legally required to whatever. So the vast majority of, of churched evangelicals stopped attending services during the pandemic for some length of time. Yeah. Well, and I don't think those numbers, Ron, candidly, would be a huge surprise to most of us, right? Because what that number tells us, at least in part, is that most of us experienced that them, you know, for ourselves. My church shut down for a while. I couldn't attend even if I wanted to. So uh, that, you know, that, that part of it is not a surprise. I think where it starts to get uh, a little more interesting for me was when you uh, when your study started looking at, okay, well, what did they do instead? We're not going to church every Sunday. Um, you know, what are the alternatives? Are they just, you know, are they watching the Sunday morning news shows? Are they doing something else? And I was fascinated by these numbers, um, and I'm going to go ahead and recite them so you don't have to call them from memory. But you said 78% attended online church 48%, nearly half, did some sort of Bible reading or worship at home. 39% TV church. I assume that meant they turned on their television and looked at some 
televangelist who was already there that was already on one of the Christian networks of some kind? Not necessarily a, a televangelist that people would normally think of that term because there are plenty of local church services that are broadcast, you know, a, a church in St. Paul, Minnesota Got it. locally. Okay, so th- it could have been a national like a TD Jakes. It could have been a, uh, a local church. It could have been a community access television. Right. All we know is that they were it was a, a church service that was uh, televised. Right. It was on TV. And th- there are a couple of surprises for me in this number. Twenty eight percent turned to Christian radio and that to me, I mean, I've been involved in Christian radio for many, many years, and you know, I know that there are a lot of strong Christian radio stations in most major cities and a lot of small towns in this country. But I think um, on any given day, far fewer than twenty-eight percent are actually listening to those radio stations. Um, that's a big number, it seems to me. Christian radio played a big role during the pandemic. It sounds like. It did. And, you know, when you talk about that number being a large number and then, you know, the the typical ratings of a Christian radio station and I, I my background is in the radio industry, so I'm, I'm familiar with uh, a lot of those ratings that uh, they, they appear to contradict, but they really don't because the ratings are talking about in any given time slot and any t- given 15 minute slot or, or if you want to look at it over an hour or whatever. Um, and the folks could have upped their listening. Uh, they could, you know, 28% listened at some point during the pandemic as some type of a, a substitute for church service. I got you. That they were necessarily listening constantly, that they all tuned in at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, anything like that. Um, because, I mean, even with church, there are folks who are going to church regularly on Saturday night or Wednesday night or anything. So they they started using or increased their usage of Christian radio as somewhat of a substitute. And again, that might have been listening to worship music. That might have been listening to a, uh, a teaching program of some type. Um, it, you know, we didn't dig too deep into that. Yeah, right. Two other uh, data points on this uh, particular chart that I wanted to look at. One was podcast, 13%. I don't think that really surprised me, but I would just make the observation that if you were doing this survey 10 years ago, this survey 10 years ago, that number would likely be zero. I mean, there were very, very few podcasts uh, 10 years ago. The fact that, that 13% uh, were listening to podcasts is um you know, again, maybe not surprising because lots of us are now listening to podcasts, but it is something that just wouldn't have been part of the mix as recently as 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't have even included that as one of the options. I yeah. mean, it just yeah. wasn't. Yeah, and though this is not a big number, I, I will say that it's a bit of a troubling number. 4% did nothing. 4% just stopped going to church because of the pandemic and replaced it with nothing. Does that number surprise you, Ron, or did you, were you kind of expecting, I mean, obviously I was, I don't think that any of us would expect that that number would be zero, but um, what did you expect there? Well, honestly, um, it was surprising to me that it was as low as it was because one of the things I skimmed over the, uh, the proportion who, stopped going to church. Um, but one of the things that we did see in there is the proportion who stopped going to church was substantially higher among people who are already less engaged in their faith. So among mm-hmm. less regular church attenders, for instance, those were the folks who were much more likely to make a conscious decision on their own to stop going to church. Now, there's no reason 
that the the church situation should be any different according to how frequently people attend church. So what that tells me is logically a lot of the folks who made the decision to stop going, not because their church closed, but they proactively made the decision, were the folks who were kind of on the fringes anyways. And they used this as a convenient excuse, mm-hmm. basically. And, yeah. um, you know, it was like, okay, well, I wasn't that sad. It was, it was like going to a burger place. And, you know, I wasn't that satisfied with the burger to begin with. And so now they're going to be closed for remodeling. I'll just stop going. I'll find someplace else. I'll find something else to do, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's just a nice, easy excuse. So I'm, I'm actually a little surprised that it was that low. And when you yeah. consider that 13% of evangelicals really weren't attending church to begin with before the pandemic. So I'm, I'm used to seeing much higher numbers of, of lack of engagement, even among believers, right? And so it, it was surprising it was that low, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating. Um, let's go back, um, kind of refer to a number we talked about earlier. In other words, okay, so church is closed. What do you do? The vast majority went online. Uh, so where did they go online? You've got a question that relates to that as well. 87% went to their own church. They looked at the services of their own church. 14% did another local church. 22% some non... Now, obviously, these numbers don't add up to 100%, so you could check more than one box here, pretty obviously. Um, 22% a non-local church, uh, 20% multiple churches. But here's kind of a bottom line number for me, Ron, that I'd like for you to comment on, that 19% explored a church that was not their own during COVID. So there was a little bit of church shopping going on during the COVID pandemic, it sounds like. There absolutely was. Um, and one of the things that we we see in this is that a lot of people did multiple things, right? So it's not just that church shut down or they decided to stop going for a while and they just went online and, and watched their own church and nothing changed. People, a lot of people use this as an opportunity to go do a little bit of looking around. Now, whether they were looking around because of dissatisfaction with their church, and this was, again, just a good opportunity, whether it was curiosity, whether they learned about uh, a friend's church that had a really great streaming service and they wanted to try it, not sure. Because uh, again, we, we you know, we're limited in how much time that we have with these folks, and, and so we can't go into ridiculous ridiculous levels of depth. But we do know that this was an opportunity for a lot of people to start looking around. And, and in terms of the long-term potential ramifications of this, that to me is one of the, the most potentially troubling, if you will, simply because when somebody is looking around all the time, they're not going to build a community. They're not going to build a trust level with a pastor, with other people in the congregation, et cetera. And I wonder, is this the beginning for some people of just sort of being um, fickle consumers? Mm. You know, hey, I heard about this church in Medford, Oregon. That's supposed to be really great. Let's see what it is. I'm watching my church. The pastor's boring this morning, or I don't like the topic. So I'm just going to go. Here's another one. I'll go search out. So is it going to be a consumer-driven decision? And just like anything else, are you going to have certain brands, if you will, that attract a lot of attention, that are particularly good 
you know, if there's a, a, a really fascinating church in Fort Lauderdale and I live in Memphis, it's really not meaningful. I, I don't have a chance to go to that church in Fort Lauderdale. Well, if I can just go stream it online, now suddenly I do have the chance to go to that church in Fort Lauderdale. So are we going to start seeing the rise of, for lack of a better word, super churches that are starting to get a lot of viewership, a lot of interest, and the individual local church is left gasping for air? Yeah, that's a very open question, a very open concern. Well, and I think that, you know, Ron, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that might be why you called at the beginning. You, you know, when I asked you for a headline, you said that Pandora's box has been opened. And I would th- assume that that's probably kind of one aspect of it right there is that th- there will be, um, you know, some negative consequences of that possibility. And you, and you say something uh, uh, later, uh, moving on through the survey, I should say, uh, you ask a question, what's the, which one of these is the better experience? In other words, people were forced to stop attending in person, chose to start attending online. Then you ask the question, well, which do you like better? Um, do, do, you know, are there aspects of being at home that you that are actually superior to church? You mentioned one of them, that's the, the opportunity to shop. But there were some other things as well um, you asked about, uh, the uh, comfort, uh, inviting others, giving your full attention, authentic worship, um, personal comfort, and the singing. Um, And and people gave varying degrees of answer there. But the bottom line is that there is a certain percentage of people that actually prefer the online experience. And um, that kind of plays into what you were just talking about. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at, we we actually look at eight separate areas because uh, for a lot of people, it can be difficult. It's like, which restaurant do you like better? Well, the service is better at this one and the desserts are better at this other one. Right. So it can be a, a, there are a lot of factors that play into it. And it's the same thing with church. And there were, there were some areas like in the area of authentic worship, you only have 4% who believe that they have a more authentic worship experience online than they do in person. Uh, the same thing with, with the ability to be connected to or engaged with the church. A very small proportion of people feel that's better online. But then you have other areas like the ability to try different churches. 24% believe that that is better online. And when you look at the proportion who say it's better or equal to, it's actually a majority of those who tried online church say it's it's at least equal to the in-person experience, uh, being able to try different churches. The same kind of thing we saw with being able to learn from the teaching. Uh, only 39% tell us that they are able, better able to learn from the teaching in person. 51% said it's really equal. And then 10% said online yeah. is, is actually better for them. And, and the same kind of thing with their personal comfort. You only had 43% who said in-person is better. So there are a lot of folks who who see advantages to online, and there are a lot more who don't see disadvantages to online. In fact, we we have four. This is one of the more interesting numbers to me. Forty five percent of those who experienced online church services now believe that the online is, experience is superior to the in person experience in at least one of the eight areas that we tested. Right. That wow. that's a pretty sizable number. Yeah, it really is a sizable number. And, uh, you know, and again, this is just an anecdote based on my own experience. But, you know, I go to a relatively small church, Ron, and we have 100, 120 people on a on an average Sunday morning. 
And we were shut down for a while, like many, many other churches were. We had online, and, and um, you know, my family uh, participated online. And um, But now that we've gone back to in-person, we've been really blessed that um, not only has our attendance kind of gone back to normal, uh, but we've got probably three or four families that are new that found us online during the pandemic. They they were shopping. They found us. Right? So <laughs> I guess in some ways that can go both ways, right? I mean, you might lose people because they were shopping online, but in other cases, maybe you can pick up folks that were shopping for you online. You didn't even know they were there. Well, and as a matter of fact, we found that 3% of all evangelicals were not attending church prior to the pandemic, but they started attending online during the pandemic. So the the availability of the widespread availability, the widespread acceptance and and the notoriety of what would the church is suddenly having to scramble and offer online services or whatnot, apparently attracted enough people that you've got three percent of the evangelical population that online church is what brought them back. Or it's the method they used to come back to church. And that's one of the things, uh, you know, th- this report really brings out a lot of potential changes and impacts for the church. And we're, we're trying to be very careful and not position this as doom and gloom or as excitement, because there are elements of both. You know, when we have a, a watershed change like this or potential watershed change, there's a lot of, of good potential that can come out of it. There's also a lot of destructive potential that can come out of it. And, and our point in, in presenting a lot of this information is that no matter whether you see it as, a, as an opportunity or as a warning sign, no matter whether it ultimately ends up being a good thing or a bad thing, it's going to take some pretty careful strategic thinking. And it's, it's not something that you just kind of, as a pastor, as a ministry leader, as a church leader, a parachurch leader, a denominational leader, can just say, well, you know, let's see what happens. Because you you really want to be out in front of this thing and strategically thinking about what are the implications going to be? What are the warning signs? How do we counteract those? What are the opportunities? How do we take advantage of those? Right. Well, that's, in fact, Ron, that gets me kind of to where I'd like to land this plane. We need to kind of bring our conversation to a close here. And, um, and let's talk about some of those next steps. Uh, you, towards the end of your survey, uh, you kind of come to this conclusion uh, that 44% want to only, only 44% want to return exclusively to in-person church. Um, that's a lot of folks that now either want their church to be online or want some component of their uh, church uh, to be online. I, you know, I'm of the school. Let me just go ahead and go on record that I, I, um, I think that that's a problem. Um, personally, I mean, I, I think that the kind of community that, um, is formed by, uh, face-to-face in-person interactions with each other is, is absolutely vital, uh, to the Christian experience. And, uh, but on the other hand, I'm also very aware you and I, Ron, are having this conversation via zoom and, um, you know, we're recording it for a podcast, which 
people will listen. So, I mean, to, to, to say, you know, to put your head in the sand and say that this technology doesn't exist or that it will just go away if we ignore it, I think is also kind of a ridiculous place um, to come to as well. So given these realities, you mentioned one, uh, what can we do next step, which is think strategically, that you that you can't just bury your head in the sand and think that that the issues that were surfaced during the pandemic are just going to go away because they won't. Other than that, thinking strategically, trying to get out in front of it, what are some other things that you might recommend church leaders and ministry leaders should do? Well, I think one of the things they're going to have to really think about is whether to do what they can to encourage this and go along with the flow and, and support it and do everything they can to make the experience as positive as it can, as they can, and promote it, et cetera, and look at this as an opportunity and a good thing, or whether they need to, to really try to discourage it. To I was talking with a discipleship leader from a, a denomination, and the, he just finished producing a series of videos really encouraging people to return to in-person church and pointing out things like you you cannot engage in a community, true community, if you're watching a screen, right? You can't use that as a method of service. You can't use that as a method of fellowship as effectively as you can in person. Yeah. So a part of then what sounds like what you're saying and what this person is saying, Ron, is, is that we've got to make the case. We've got to make the case for being face-to-face with one another. We've got to talk about um, the benefits, um, uh, n- not only the benefits to the community and the, co- and, the, and the benefits to the larger community maybe that we live in, but also the spiritual benefits to ourselves of being face-to-face and engaging in service and engaging in the Lord's Supper, for example, for those traditions that do that every Sunday. If we have been sloppy about explaining to people how these spiritual practices are important to our spiritual life— We need to clean that up right away, it sounds like. Well, and I think a lot of it goes back to what is the experience of the typical evangelical, or or to broaden this, the typical Christian in a church, and what do they see as church? If you have people at your church who, who largely see church as I walk in, I sit in the service, I sing or I listen to the music, I hear the message, I learn from it, and then I go home, honestly, I'm not sure what the benefit of being in person really is. Because they, they can do all of that online. They can do all of that through watching a screen. But effective church largely, in many ways, happens outside of the service. It's the time before when you're fellowshipping and making connections with people and the, and the time afterwards. It's the time where you say, hey, you know, it's getting late. We've been here chatting for a while. Want to go grab lunch, right? It's the time that you get together with people and say, um, what what needs to be done around the church? Can we can we have can the men's ministry or the women's ministry do a cleanup day, do a repair day, whatever? It, it's the time that you spend out in the community and taking the church to the community. It's the the children's programs, the Sunday school or Christian education programs, and that's one of the big questions strategically is if churches do really start to accept the online and and go with that. What's going to happen with the the kids programs, with the teen programs, with the the outreach programs? Uh, you're, you're you know it's easy to talk about. We'll just put our service online. We'll stream it. We'll light it better so it looks better, and we'll get better mics so it sounds better. But the hour that people spend in church on Sundays is is really in many ways a tiny portion 
of what church should be and what's going to happen with the other 80, 90, 95% of what church should be. Because that you you that kind of stuff you can't replicate online. Yeah. Well, Ron, you closed your study um, here with a, uh, by the way, I'm a big fan of this quote from Yogi Berra. I use it all the time. Uh, Yogi Berra said, it's tough to make predictions, especially predictions about the future. Um, so I was really glad to see that quote in there. You you sort of had me whenever you, <laughs> whenever you use that quote. But then you also included another quote that said, that says this, uh, it's from author Mary Renault, by the way, there's only one kind of shock worse than the totally unexpected, and that is the expected for which one has refused to prepare. And it sounds to me like that's what you were saying, that um, that there will be good, there will be bad that will come out of it. You might have your own opinions about, you know, what is good and what is bad and which you should do and which you should not do. But the bottom line is that as church leaders, as ministry leaders, we need to be prepared. We need to know what's happening in the world around us with the folks that we are attempting to serve, and we need to be making plans to serve those in, those people in an era that will be different than the era just gone by. Yeah. And, and when Infinity Concepts and Gray Matter Research partnered on this, that's one of the things that we really wanted to look at is we're, we're both big believers in information is power. And knowing what's going on around you is powerful. And knowing what may be coming up is powerful. And preparation is powerful, you know. And and it's a little bit like there's a, a National Weather Service warning that a hurricane is coming. Wouldn't you rather know that, even if it ultimately doesn't have any negative impact on you? Wouldn't you rather know that and prepare for it with research like this than just to blithely you know, run through your life and suddenly be hit by a hurricane. Well, exactly right. I know I'm sort of a data geek anyway and love these kinds of surveys. So I found this one to be particularly nourishing. So Ron, thank you so much for uh, the study, the survey. Thank you for being on the program today. I'm going to put a link uh, to where you can get the study. Um, those of you who are listening in my show notes, so on your podcast app or on the website, uh, you'll be able to click on that and go directly to the Gray Matter website and get your own copy of this study. So, Ron Sellers, thank you so much for being on the program. It's been great to be with you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. You've been listening in on my conversation with Ron Sellers. He's the president of Gray Matter Research and Consulting, which has just published a new study called The Ripple Effect, Congregations, COVID, and the Future of Church Life. Before we go, a quick reminder that this program exists because of the generosity of our readers and listeners. We take no money from the ministries we cover, and there's no advertising on our website. We're completely listener and reader funded. If you'd like to make a donation to Ministry Watch, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate tab at the top of the page. And if money is a little tight right now, hey, I get it. I've been there a time or two myself. You can still help the program. Just rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines, and that means other people can find us more easily. Rating us takes just a few seconds. It doesn't cost you a dime. And it's a free and easy and, I should add, important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. 
I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you. 